Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Al, for those of you who don't know me. I'm one of the leaders here um, at Gateway, um, and it's a real privilege to be able to come and share with you um, just for 20 minutes or so. And what I really want to be able to do is to make the link between everything we've just been singing about and baptizing people into that pool in 20 minutes. You see, we've just been singing for the last half an hour about Jesus. Everything we've been singing about is Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We love you. The reason we lift our hands is because we want to praise and worship Jesus. And the reason that is, is because we as Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the central character of the Bible. He is the central person in Christianity. It all hangs off the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I believe that he is who the Bible says he is, that he really is the Son of God, that he really did come as the, uh, to rescue and redeem mankind so that I would have an offer of new relationship and new life and new hope with Christ at the center. And I believe that that offer is, on, is, is available to everybody here this morning and to everybody globally. And I just want to help you to understand this morning that Jesus Christ is the central figure of our faith, our central figure of the Christian faith. And also, Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of world history. Nobody has shaped and shaken world history like Jesus Christ. Time magazine, which is an American-based magazine, which has about 26 million people read it worldwide, in 2013 they wrote an article which was the top 100 most significant and influential figures of all time. Jesus Christ, number one. Jesus Christ considered to be the most influential and significant figure in all of history. Jesus from a small village in Israel who lived 2,000 years ago has shaken and shaped world history more than presidents, more than prime ministers, more than celebrities, more than philosophers. Jesus ministered on this earth primarily over a three-year period. And over that three-year period, he has shaken world history more than philosophers like Plato or Socrates or Aristotle, whose combined period of public life was 150 years. Over a three-year period, this, this person, Jesus Christ, who we sing about, shaped and shook the world to its core. There's a guy called Phil Moore who leads a church in London said this about Jesus. Nobody is thought about, talked about, written about, blogged about, tweeted about, sung about, or ranted about as much as Jesus. But who really is Jesus? And what did he really say about himself? And why is that relevant to my life today? And why on earth is that relevant to getting some people, dunking some people in a very freezing pool in a few minutes' time? I'm sorry to say, guys, we're being baptized. The heat is broken, and it's a bit chilly in there this morning. About 15 degrees at original reading, so it's less like a warm bath, more like an ice one. So I just want to better take the time this morning just to be able to unpack and link everything that we've been singing about and hearing about, about this Jesus, and to what's happening here this morning. You see, Jesus, when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago, made some outrageous claims to be the Son of God, to be able to forgive 
sin and rebellion against God, to be able to offer life in all its fullness and life in eternity. He did some extraordinary things. He raised the dead, which is fairly extraordinary. He healed the sick. He made the blind see and the deaf hear. And his teaching was so revolutionary and so mind-blowing that it kind of shook the culture around and has shaken culture since then. Jesus' words are considered to be the greatest teaching of all time. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Forgive people. Do as you would be done by. Do to others as you would want them to do to you. The way that Jesus cared and loved for those in society um, who would be considered outcasts or on the fringes of society. Jesus said, that's what I want to come and I want to raise your status. It was absolutely revolutionary and radical. And the reality is because of, the, of how Jesus lived, his claims, because of who he is, because of his actions, it's fair to say he got people talking 2,000 years ago in Israel. And it's fair to say he's got people talking ever since then. And there's a great story um, in the book of Luke, which is, a, which is the third book of the, of the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels that documents the life of Jesus. And in this story, Jesus is invited to um, have dinner with the Pharisees or the religious leaders and his disciples, his followers, were there as well. And I think it was, you know, they thought it might be, maybe be a nice comfortable evening having some dinner together. And this lady kind of just walks into this dinner, uninvited, presumably, And the Bible describes her as a woman of the city, or a sinner. And and in talking about her being a woman of the city, the Bible is saying that she was sexually immoral, probably a prostitute. And she walks into this dinner. Can you imagine if you're having dinner with somebody, and somebody just walks through the door uninvited? And and I think the the religious leaders at the time, his followers, would have expected Jesus to say, get out of my presence. Away from me. You're not invited here. You're not welcome here. That's the anticipation of Jesus' followers and the religious leaders of the time. And they say, surely if this man who is who he says he is, he'd have nothing to do with this woman because he knows what she's like. And after Jesus turns to his followers and gives them a little bit of talking to about what grace and forgiveness really is, he turns to this woman and he says this to her. He looks at her. He says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Wow. A woman who who society would say no to, Jesus says, you're forgiven. Because I'm the son of God. I forgive you of your sin. Your faith in me has saved you. Now go in peace. Peace. Can you imagine the awe and the shock of the room? And they're like, I thought he was going to kick her out. And he turns around and says, your sin is forgiven. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. And it, it, what it did is that this is, this is how the Bible talks about it. It says, then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Who is this man who can say to a a sexually immoral woman, I forgive you, God forgives you, God loves you. Who is this man who can say to this woman, your faith has saved you. Who is this man who can say, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've been through in life, God forgives you, God saves you, and God gives you peace. 
Who is this man? Who is this man? And do you know that that's a question that people have been asking throughout history. Who is this Jesus? Who is he really? And Jesus knows that people are asking him these questions. And there's a great story in the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the, of the New Testament, where he's with his disciples and he's walking with them one day and he turns around to them and says, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And their response is this. Some say you're John the Baptist, who was a forerunner of, of Jesus. Some say you're Elijah, who was an Old Testament prophet. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Or to put it another way, some say you're a teacher, a prophet, or even more crazily, a reincarnated prophet back from the dead. And you see, throughout history, people have thought about this question, who do people say that Jesus is? You can go to Google, you can get whatever answer, you can get a whole range of answers. Some people, and you might be in this category, would say, Jesus never really existed, it's just a a figment of people's imagination in this book. Some people would say, Maybe he existed, but he was probably fairly deluded if he claimed to be God. Some people say he was a prophet. Some people say he was a good teacher or one of the great men of world history that actually we can, we can take from the Bible the kind of really good wisdom and, and how to live, but Jesus isn't anything more than that. And that's exactly how Jesus is portrayed in the famous Da Vinci Code, um, which was probably 10 years ago now, where Jesus is portrayed as a prophet, a great and powerful man of staggering influence, a great religious teacher, but not the son of God. But you see, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And two billion people, this is the latest estimate worldwide, would say Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is. The people who are getting baptized this morning are saying Jesus Christ is who the Bible claims him to be. He is the son of God. He did die. He did rise again. He's rescued and redeemed me. He's given me new life in him. But you see, Jesus, in his mastery at the way he asks questions, the way he engages with people, his first question, who do people say that I am? That he stops, and I can imagine he looks at each one of his disciples in the eye, and he says, but who do you say that I am? Probably the most important question that has ever been asked in all of history. But who do you say that I am? Personally, directly, confrontationally, Jesus says, you, you, you. Who do you say that I am? You see, it's not about what Google says. It's not about what other people think. Jesus looking each of us in the eye today and says, but who do you say that I am? Jesus asks this question deliberately as a direct contrast. First, he says, what do people think about me? Who do people say I am? But, but, a contrast, who do you say I am? You see, this question goes from being a a sort of general question to a specific question. It goes from being an out there, what does Google say, to an in here, what do you say? From being a comfortable question that you can kind of brush off if you want to, to being an uncomfortable and direct question of, but who do you say that I am? Let's look at this another way. Imagine if there was a, uh, a trial taking place um, of somebody, let's say, 
armed robbery just for, for the sake of a crime. And you read about this in the newspaper. You read about this trial going on in the newspaper. And everyone's got an opinion on this person. They're either guilty or they're not guilty. But actually, for yourself, you might go, yeah, I might engage with it, I might consider it, but it doesn't really, doesn't really significantly affect me what others think, what, what, what's going on here. But let's just imagine that rather than being able to read it in the newspaper, you are part of the jury that has to make a decision on this person who is standing trial. You know that after the hearing, after the trial, you are going to have to stand and answer the question, is this man or woman guilty or not guilty? You'll know that you're going to get asked a direct and specific question, what do you think? What do you think? Suddenly, you go from, I might engage with this, to actually, oh my goodness, your antenna is up, oh my goodness, I need to really engage and think about this, I need to consider the evidence, I need to really properly understand and give my attention and my focus on this. You see, Jesus is asking the question, who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? Am. And you see, the reason Jesus asked this question is because he, he was looking for a response of our hearts. But why does it really matter? Why does it matter what Jesus, how we respond to Jesus? Why does it matter that I could stand here today and say, I believe in Jesus Christ? I believe who the Bible claims him to be. You see, because the implications of Jesus being who he said he is, being as the Bible declares him to be, are so huge and massive that they warrant consideration and evidence thinking and and, and investigation. See, these are some of the implications of Jesus being who the Bible says that he is. Jesus is the son of God, that means that God loves you. God loves you. The God of the universe, who you may have rejected, you may have done all sorts of things, God looks at you, I love you. I love the people that I made. I love you. Secondly, if Jesus is the son of God, then he came to save you from broken relationship with our creator. That you can know life as God made it to be, which is in relationship with him and living out his plans and his purposes. If Jesus is the son of God, then all your rebellion, all the things you've ever done wrong, by responding to him, God says, I forgive you. I forgive you. It's washed away. It means that we can know true love, true peace, and true joy. It means that the thirst that we live with in the depths of our soul for, to be satisfied for purpose and meaning is fulfilled by responding to Jesus. It means that he comes and can set us free from guilt and shame and anxiety and worry. But you see, the answer to this question also has... The Bible says eternal consequences. You see, one day we're going to all have, the Bible says very clearly, we're going to have to stand before God and give an account. And the question that is the question on that moment is, did you accept Jesus? Did you accept 
Jesus? Did you say, yes, Jesus, I put my faith and my trust in you? And the Bible makes it very clear that the, 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 the answer to that question, as we've decided, we don't get to get to heaven and make that decision, by the way. I just want to say that. We have to make the decision now in this life has, it, has eternal consequences of whether you go to spend eternity with God or eternity without God. That's the eternal consequences that the Bible portrays of how we respond in our hearts to the question of who do you say that I am. And I know that is an uncomfortable message in culture. I know it's unpalatable, but that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, actually, that how we respond to this question not only has an impact now, but has an impact into eternity. So Jesus asked them this direct, this personal question, who do you say I am? And one of his followers, Peter, turns around and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's putting all of his eggs in one basket and saying, I believe you are who you say you are. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you. Blessed are you. His eyes have been opened to truth and to the reality of who God is. And you see millions of people throughout history, as I said earlier, two billion people today, many people in this room And those that are getting baptized this morning are saying, you are the Christ. You are who you say you are. You are the son of God. You really did die and rise again to rescue, to redeem me, to give me new life. And the Bible makes it very clear that a response like that to the question of who do you say I am saves you, changes you, transforms you. Answering that question with a you are the Christ gives us new life, both now and eternity, new purpose, new direction, and new hope. You see, when you respond to that question with you are the Christ, it fundamentally changes the purpose and direction of your life. You literally do a U-turn, and the Bible calls that repentance. The Bible says repentance is literally turning from one way of living, not facing God, to turn into another way and saying, God, I'm putting you at the center and I'm going to live out my life for you. Literally, it means to do a 180 degree spin. I've now got a new master. I'm looking to Jesus for direction and purpose. I'm looking to him for the answers of life. I'm not going to look my own way anymore. Repentance is literally that shifting away from from walking away from God to running to him and saying, "I, I, I believe in you. I'm confessing that I've done things wrong against you. I know that you're the son of God and I'm going to spend my life looking at you and pursuing you and your plans. And the Bible makes it very clear as well that what we're about to witness in a few moments' time, this baptism of people being pushed under the water and being raised up, is part of this process of responding to the question of who do you say I am. It's part of the journey out of your old way of living into a new way of living with Jesus Christ at the center. You see, as we we push people, very gently, of course, into the waters of baptism and they're submerged. It represents a a dying, a burying of their old way of living. It says, I'm not going to live like that anymore. That's my old life before I knew God. And then as we pull them up out of the waters of baptism, they're pulled up into new life, facing and looking at Jesus and saying, God, you are the reason. You're the one I'm looking to. You're the one I'm focusing on. They're being raised up into new life with Jesus Christ at the center. So this baptism process is part of saying, I'm dying 
I'm, I'm, I'm saying goodbye to my old way of living, and I'm saying I'm being raised to new life with Jesus Christ at the center of my life. That's what baptism is a part of that process of, 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 of following Jesus, part of that process of responding to the call of God of who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? I just want to leave you with this. I, I recognize there'll be people here this morning who would say, I, I'm not a Christian. I don't know if I believe any of what you've just said, but I just want to ask you, to, through the rest of this morning as we baptize Matt and Matt, um, I just want to ask you, just to consider this question of who do you say that Jesus is? I want to ask you just to consider the evidence. I want to ask you to, to, to go away and think, talk to people that you know. Say, who is this Jesus that, that you, you sing about, that you get excited about, that you worship, that you say, I'm, I'm looking to him for the direction and purpose of my life?